what's better than this guys being dudes here on the draft dudes podcast presented by locked on it's joe marino kyle krabs and chris schubert from the draft network and we are your hosts here on this thursday episode of the show today's podcast is brought to you by rockauto.com they have amazing selection reliably low prices and all the parts your car will ever need visit rockauto.com and tell them locked on sent you kyle happy thursday to you it's not a happy Thursday. I just read Peter Schrager's mock draft. You must not like those Dolphins picks. Rayshon Slater at six. And Najee Harris. Oh, so you got a Kyle center? Pitts is a, Kyle Pitts at right. You got a center at six with Kyle mm-hmm. Pitts on the board. Penny Sewell's still on the board. Like six months ago, I mocked I you Penny Creed Sewell. Humphrey at eight, and you were mad about that. So Yeah. Well, yeah. don't draft a center in the top ten. And we're, oh, he's a tackle. Not for the Dolphins, he's not. All right, that so online. Certainly, yeah. I mean, this is this is the um, the living personification of of like the the anger we get in tweets from our mock drafts. Shoot. Kyle's just doing it right here on the podcast. Into the sun directly. Shoot me directly. Do you still have it open? Who do the Bills get? I got to know. Into the sun. In this scenario, quote tweeting Shager himself. There you go, Pete. Um, let's see. The Bills at 30 and Peter Schrager's first mock draft of the year, Asante Samuel Jr. That's how I feel about that. Davis Mills went 32 to the Bucks. Yeesh. Yeah. Okay. Pointless. All right. So <laughs> <laughs> let's go. We're talking edge rushers today. We are not the Miami ones. Chris Schubert would like us to declare that if you're here it's to listen reset. about yeah, yeah that podcast done happened. So, yeah. so we, we committed a full 30, 35 minutes to Gregory Rousseau, Jalen Phillips and Quincy Roche. Ergo, we will not be talking about those three amid the other 11 edge rushers that are still currently in TDN's top 100 prospects for this year's draft. So, some good edge rushers to work with, Joe. I know that maybe the the star appeal, the sexiness of this class is something that's maybe missing a little bit relative to some other draft classes, but the depth and, and scheme-specific guys, and I, I think there's a lot of that, and there's a lot of that to work with, and, and whether you're looking for third-down designated pass rushers or early-down run stuffers or, or base ends or, or – Guys that can do a little bit of everything, but they're just raw and toolsy. Like you got choices here, and we have choices on where we want to start this conversation. Man, I to me, it's either Pay from Michigan or, or Aziz Ojolari from Georgia. Since we're not talking Jalen Phillips, um, I, I'll start with Aziz Ojolari. And, and um, man, I, I'm a big fan. Redshirt sophomore. Checked in like six three two forty nine, a th- little bit over thirty four inch arms at, at the Georgia Pro Day. I love his tape, man. Like he's bursty, he's bendy, he's long. He's got quite a bit of pass rush acumen. There's a lot of variety with how he wins and gets home, but you know that that stuff's easy to identify. But the part that I didn't expect when I watched this guy play was the run defense. I'm watching this guy against Alabama. I'm watching him against Auburn, and he is exchanging power. He is squeezing gaps. He's fighting pressure with pressure. He is standing up pullers back in gaps, and he gets after it, man. I love that. He plays with good leverage, and there's this dog mentality in him. And so 
I know you can look at this guy and say, you know, three, four outside linebackers, probably the most natural spot, man. But, you know, you think about some of these, these defensive ends and four threes, like Jerry Hughes, and obviously this is near and dear to me, you know, if Jerry Hughes at six, two at two fifty five with 33 in charms can succeed in Sean McDermott's defense. Well, so can Aziz Ojolari. So I think he's more universal of a scheme fit than we think. And I just like, I don't know. There's something about the way this guy plays the game, a little bit undersized, that dog mentality that I really buy into. So who would you put the higher ceiling on? Between Ojolari and pay. Yeah. Man, I'm not sure I I feel strongly in either way. Do you have a, a strong opinion on that? I think it's pay, you know, and as much as we I don't want to say romanticize is the right word, but it seems like the slightly undersized rushers who win with speed, when you get to the pro level at least, like that translation's a little more clunky for a lot of guys than if you have heavy hands, you have power and you can run through guys. So for me, Quiddy pay with the density of his frame, the power that he has, the explosiveness and change of direction skills that he clearly has. And it's just like an applications thing. Guys who are capable of reducing angles instead of turning steep angles as pass rushers, mm. I think have a better recipe for success in the NFL. What I mean by that is if you're an offensive tackle and I'm, and I'm attacking you, if I am able to play through your frame, the outside half of your frame and displace you to where you're not anticipating, I'm going to take you. I have reduced the angle that I have for my pathway to the quarterback instead of being a guy who wins with speed and effectively runs around that offensive tackle and has to take a wider, more roundabout way of getting there. Man, you phrased that perfectly. Say that again, that opening sentence, guys that can do X versus X. Guys that can reduce their angle to the quarterback translate better, in my opinion, than guys who play at steep angles to get to the quarterback. Man, that is such a good way to frame it. And Kyle, I don't know how many times you and I have talked football and pass rushers, and that's the first time I've heard you say that. I'm a little disappointed, but I mean, to me, that painted such a good picture in my head, especially when I think about some of the guys that we're going to get to here, like a Joe Tryon, uh, like a Ronnie Perkins, where they just don't do that. And um, it's kind of a loopy rush. And, and I, the, what I kept coming back to in my head, especially with a guy like Joe Tryon from Washington, is it's just like he doesn't take good rush angles, but it might not be like it just might be not within his wheelhouse to kind of take those, reduce those angles like you mentioned. So, man, uh, I love that phrasing. Isn't that, that's one of the more fun things about this space. And, like, we've literally done 600 podcast episodes together or something like that. Oh, dude, and like, it's higher than we, that, man. <laughs> we still have that ability to bring something new to a conversation. And then you, you add in when we do our scouting staff meetings and Jordan Reed yeah. is on the call and Brentley Weissman and Dre Harris are on the call and uh, our two NFL PA externs that have been working with us this spring, Andrew and John are on the call. And it's just like the collaborative opportunities and it, it is such an awesome group to work with and, and learn the game more and, and, and find those right ways of vocalizing stuff. Cause that's a big yeah. thing when you read, when you hear about like writing pro scouting reports for a team is it's like, 
I think you were telling me that Doug Whaley had said this. You got to find a way to write. You got to find a way to tell the story of a player in as little words as possible. Yeah. Yeah. He, he said that. And, and I shared that, that audio clip with the group. Um, yes. <laughs> Paint the picture in as few words as possible. It's exactly right. But, you know, and I don't want to brag on us too much, but I, I will for a moment here. I think all of our guys that we work together with, we're, we're not just committed to doing this work and evaluating these players, but we're very committed to learning the game. And, you know, I, I know that we all individually do different things, whether it's books we read, coaching clinics that we watch or attend. And that commitment to continuing to learn, I think, helps us evolve and, and helps us unpack new ways to talk about this stuff. And, and uh, I think, you know, that's something that I think obviously we'll continue to pride ourselves in doing. And it'll, it'll lead to moments like this. And this is a very authentic moment. Like we didn't plan this, but, um, you know, it's uh, a bit of advice for anyone that wants to do this work. Just keep learning the game because you, once you think you've arrived, you, you definitely haven't. RockAuto.com is a family business who's been providing auto parts customers with high quality service online for the last 20 years. So whether you're shopping for your classic or daily driver and you need engine control modules, brake parts, taillights, motor oil, or even new carpet, RockAuto.com has everything you need in one easy to navigate catalog. And in just a few clicks, you can get everything delivered directly to your front door. Best of all, prices are the same at rockauto.com for both professionals and do-it-yourselfers. So why would you shop anywhere else and spend up to twice as much for the same parts? So visit rockauto.com for all of your auto parts needs and write locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. So if we're looking at the edge rankings over at TDN right now, Quiddy Pay, Discussed along with Aziz Ojolari, Jalen Phillips, Gregor, so off the off the radar. We're not touching them today because we already w- went deep dive on those two guys specifically. The next, let's call it trio of guys, uh, I think are all really physically traitsy players. Washington's Joe Tryon, Texas's Joseph Asai, and Penn State's Jason Oway. Um, kind of different sizes, all three of these guys too, where we're always 260 and looks like he's got the opportunity to add another 20 pounds onto his frame because he's very long, lean, uh, narrow waisted right now. Joe Tryon is, is that like Montez sweat type build. And then Joseph Asai at 6'3", 250 is a little bit more of like the, uh, I know he's taller than Yannick Ngakwe, but he, that's kind of like what you're getting based on his style of play. So put those three guys in a bucket here, Joe. Uh, Let's talk about some of the dynamics and and questions and concerns, but also the appeal of each of these guys. Kind of want to start with Owe from from Penn State. Like you mentioned, 260 pounds, and he runs in the four threes. And we've we've been told he runs in the four threes for a long time, and then he did it, and uh, we celebrate it, and you get really excited about that speed off the edge. And, you know, the, the concern goes back to, the production is just not there, right? Like he has all these physical traits, but the sack production didn't follow suit. And so I think someone's going to take him high, but I I think you have to be committed to the long game with him and and really developing and helping him flesh out his skill set and developing his pass rush repertoire so that he can apply those physical gifts and and make plays on the field. Now, I think there's an element to Oway 
that interests me in a Baltimore Ravens, Tennessee Titans style hybrid defense where you can create some runways and, and allow him to shoot some gaps and allow that burst and that closing speed to take over without, you know, putting too much stress on him to really string together pass rush moves and take the right angles and read the pocket and understand how to attack it. So I think there is a way to get production short term, but you know, if you're really going to get the most out of him, it might be a, a two year thing with, with Oway. And he's going to go a lot higher than like we're, we've got him in our top 50, but like, He's probably going to be a top top 30 selection. I would say it's the minimum, right? And it's like yeah. he, he could end up being top 20 selection. He could be top 17 selection. <laughs> like right. the, um, the opportunity for him to go is substantial uh, in the, the second half of the first round. Um, I, I think if you want to paint the picture for uh, optimism with him, uh, he did play the run fairly well this past year. He showed some growth in that regard and not just in space, right? Because there was a lot of concepts in which the teams left him unblocked by design and tried to option off of him, but he showed you his athleticism in those instances and his ability to flash and get width and get to the sideline. Um, but playing in close quarters, uh, I think he has the ability to stack up blockers really well. And he has a lot of ease in, in, block deconstruction because of his length. It's just not consistent. Pad level's not consistent. Leverage isn't consistent. Punch timing and extension seals aren't consistent. But if you're comfortable that you can piece all those things together, then you should be ready to take Jason away in the range in which we're expecting he's going to be able to go because of all of those things that he has that are uncoachable. And then, like I said, I don't need him to run 4-3 nine dude like go run four four five five and put 15 pounds on your frame so you can turn into a more powerful explosive not doesn't need to get more explosive but a more powerful player yeah get to get to quitty pays weight at you with your length and let's talk you mentioned the run defense and i do think that is something that stood out to me with the when i watched away and I'd be interested in hearing your reaction to this. I thought there were times that he sold out to stop the run. And, and like you see that with on passing downs, guys just pin their ears back and sell out and they, they try to rush the passer. But I thought there were times where it wasn't necessarily a processing thing, but he, I think he guessed that it was a run and he would just attack the tackle and try to squeeze the gap as hard as he could with leverage to sell out and stop the run in it. Like it worked a lot of times, but it wasn't necessarily something where I thought, okay, he read down block, he fights pressure with pressure or, you know, he, whatever type of read and response is supposed to happen with the run game. I felt like he sold out a lot of times to stop the run. Yeah. There was like an urgency switch that he was able to flip on and just played super frantic. So I agree with you. And, and that's something that you'd ideally like to get. Not only would you like to see that instead of being like, oh, he sold out on that one. Like do that every time. First yeah. of all. And second of all, like you said, have a little bit more of a, a cerebral way of attacking the blocks and, and understanding where leverage is instead of just trying to like 
railroad that guy back into the backfield because <laughs> that's what he did. Coach him up, man. He's got all kinds of skill for sure. Yes, so. No question. So, and then we, we've got Asai and Tryon who are, um, I think both of those guys are, are physically speaking. They, they don't have the potential to stack on size. So I do think their ceiling is lower. Uh, both of these guys than what Owe can bring to the table. Uh, Asai had a phenomenal pro day for Texas, uh, showed some athleticism. Uh, but his question is, is he a linear athlete? And when I watched him on tape, and I think this can be applicable to both him and Joe Tryon, to be completely honest with you. Both of those guys are pretty twitchy when they're going straight ahead. But when you ask them to turn the corner, um, you're, hit or, you're more hit or miss, but they conversely don't have the power component to complement the fact that they're explosive athletes. They're, they're, I mean, Tryon played at 250, Osai played at 245. Like they just don't have that heavy hands ability to collapse offensive tackles with consistency. So I don't know. How do you think we get the best version of both of these guys? It's, it's interesting. Um, I, I, man, I tend to agree with you that I'm not sure how much more weight they could stack on. Um, so it, it makes me feel like I got to stand them up a little bit and avoid them having to play, you know, five technique and, have to deal with offensive tackles in the run game all the time. But I guess with both of them, my, my concern is as a stand-up rusher, I'm just not – I'm not sure how loose they are to kind of lean in and press tighter angles. And the, their rushes for both of them tend to be pretty loopy. Now, I mean, they both play with a ton of energy and a hot motor, and mm-hmm. like you see them make some effort plays. But as far as their physical gifts beating offensive tackles, you know, they're really going to have to – flesh out their their hand usage and, and counters because I think they have to grease angles, you know, just based on how loopy their rushes are. So I like that's the other alternative here is and, and you've seen more success with guys who don't reduce angles, play them at wider angles naturally. So you give them outside in leverage to be able to, they're going to be more naturally able to. So if you stand them up and have them play in two point stances as linebacker types on the edge of the line of scrimmage, they have more natural leverage to turn those runs yeah. back inside when you're playing run defense. And it, it reduces the angle, but you have more distance to cover. If that makes sense as a pass rusher. I, I think that's a good point. And the practical application that really stands out to me is the Texas Oklahoma state game where you saw Osai go head-to-head with uh, Tevin Jenkins a good bit. And when Osai had his wins, it felt like it was as a result of those wider angles and he can just kind of win the race to certain landmarks mm-hmm. and beat him to the spot. And obviously that last play of the game where I don't think I don't think I charged Jenkins with giving up that sack because Joe Osai friggin' chased him all the way across the field. Correct. But he was able to, to get past him because he was at such a wide alignment. So... I guess real quick on Tryon. Uh, Tryon did not play in 2020. Uh, so you're, you're forecasting projection in the same way that you would do so for like Gregory Rousseau. Um, 
he's he's kind of forgotten in this class for a lot of folks. It feels like, um, but he was. I just keep coming back to Montez Sweat when I watched him play. I even thought before Montez Sweat took the big jump, his final season at Mississippi State, I got a lot of the same vibes from Joe Tryon. Now, obviously, he didn't test as well as Montez Sweat did. He didn't have the breakout season that Montez Sweat had to put him into that conversation to become a first-round pick. I think he went 26th overall or whatever in Washington traded up for him. But, no, that, that's kind of my best-case scenario for Joe Tryon. Um, but I wish, I just wish we would have had a chance to see him play this year. So you could feel more comfortable instead of trying to thread the needle with a projection and say, this is what I've seen this style work before. This is the guy that it worked with, but these are the missing variables in which we don't have for Tryon. And one of the challenging parts about watching Tryon's film from 2019 was just how much drop eight there was for that Washington defense where it's like, I, I mean, he's, he's the Russian three guys and that guards always able to kind of chip and help with the tackle. And it's like, man, I'm not sure how many scoutable reps I've seen in this entire game that I just watched. Right. So don't sleep on him. I wouldn't be too upset if my team took a, a shot on a guy like Joe Tryon. It's just the price has to be right for us. That's probably you say mid two, yeah, kind of the sweet spot for him, especially in this edge class where you get a lot of other guys that can can offer you some similar stuff, but you're more comfortable with what they've put on tape recently. So we get a nice little block coming up here. We have the back half of the TDM 100 for edge rushers. We have Janarius Robinson, Carlos Basham, Quincy Roche. He's off. We talked about Miami already. Go listen to that show if you want to hear Quincy Roche breakdown. Ronnie Perkins, Peyton Turner. Uh, so lots of guys to get into here uh, on the last block. But before we get there, football season may be over, but Bet Online still has plenty of betting action and it is the fastest and easiest way to get your bets in. NBA, MLB, NHL all in full swing right now. Plus, Bet Online even covers awards, television shows, and reality TV with real time updated odds and props on just about anything that you can imagine. Bet online has you covered for all the news scores and odds. It's the best way to place your bets. Plus, it's free to sign up. So head to the website and use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sports book experts, promo code locked on. Where do you want to start? Uh man, there's there's a lot of players. I think I guess I want to start with Carlos Basham, Boogie Basham from, from Wake right. Forest. Getting a little bit uh, first round buzz the last week. Yeah, man, he's got a lot of fans out there. He he certainly does. Um, very productive football player over the last three seasons for uh, Wake Forest, and um, I think he's a power style end. You know, he's going to measure. I think he's going to play around two seventy five, two hundred and eighty pounds. And um, if you're looking for a bursty, bendy guy, this isn't going to be that player for you. But if you want a guy that um, has heavy hands and and is a guy that can kind of play through some blocks and has a good bull rush and um, I mean has experience playing like literally every snap. I think that's something you have to keep in mind when you're watching Basham. Is the dude just didn't come off the field and so um, there are times where you feel like maybe 
Uh, there's uh, some, eh, I don't want to say lackadaisical, but there's a little juice missing at times. I mean, the, guy, the guy's playing 80 snaps a game for Wake Forest, but I think he'll be a good run defender. I think he's a base end. I don't want to steal your thunder, but you came up with the Shaq Lawson comp for, for Boogie Basham, and that was before they he tested, right? <laughs> like, right. And the testing wound up being like damn near identical. And I think from you know what we've seen from Shaq in the NFL in terms of playing base end, getting some chances to rush on the interior, being a good contained and run defender, but not necessarily being super dynamic as a pass rusher, but a you know an effective pass rusher. I think that's what you're getting. So I'm not in on Boogie in the first round. I mean, he's an older prospect. Like you know, he'll be 24 years old here, and and you know, I think that he's got to clean up his frame a little bit. But I think on day two, you'll get a you'll get a really solid piece. And if a team wanted to draft him in the first round, then like more power to you. Um, that's going to be a, a very scheme specific decision. I know that the heat and buzz has been on Green Bay potentially in the first round. Really? For Basham? Mm hmm. Wow. Okay. I mean, I guess they went out and they got Ray Sean Gary, right? They turned him into a 260 pound, <laughs> cut his weight down. Basham's got a little less of the the same concerns as far as you know, Ray Sean and deconstructing blocks and attacking blocks. So uh, I, I saw a little bit of that uh, this past week across the Twitter timeline, uh, including uh, Owen Reese, uh, who is a, a Packers guy, talking about Basham and his appeal to the Packers. So just that's one to, to keep an eye on. And, and I think out of the names that we had here, Basham is the one that will get drafted the highest. Would you disagree with that? Starting at Janarius Robinson on the rankings list. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair. I don't know. It'd be the one that we would draft the highest, but predictively. Yes. I want to talk about Janarius Robinson. Oh yeah. And I want you to explain to me because you Florida state, you're the ACC scout. Explain to me how this dude did not terrorize opposing teams every single week because he's, toolsy traitsy he did kind of have the the light come on for him a little bit with his play in 2020 as far as being more effective stacking up blocks and winning the line of scrimmage but uh he's got all world potential when you look at his size his build his length his explosiveness his athletic testing there's a lot to like with Janarius robinson but he is yet to be able to put it all together the answer is coaching kyle and, and mm. as somebody who's paid very close attention to florida state and I look at the last, I don't know, four or five years of players that have come through there. It's been a, some really talented dudes, but I don't know that I can honestly say that any player at Florida State reached their ceiling outside of like Asante Samuel Jr. and maybe Brian Burns. Like these guys are so underdeveloped. You look at Landon Dickerson and, and him going and having success at Alabama. I think about Tamori and Terry at wide receiver. You can just watch these players and you see physical ability, but they're not rigidly rep football players that are prepared to play. And I think that extends to Josh Kando, another edge from Florida State. Obviously, Janarius Robinson, Amari Gaynor. You know, he's a player that is oozing with talent. Hamson Osterl Dean didn't reach his ceiling. I just think they've been so poorly coached and these players haven't developed. And, you know, I think this is going to be just like um, the, the Tennessee Volunteers run where you know, they didn't really have a ton of great prospects, but all of a sudden guys like Emmanuel Mosley, Kyle Phillips, um, uh, AJ Johnson, these guys wind up being good NFL players, 
but because they were so poorly coached in college, they were like pushed down the draft board, late bloomers, and um, you know, just weren't prepared. And, and so I think that extends to Janarius Robinson, who has all the gifts in the world to be a dynamic edge in the NFL. I just want to read a few keywords off of your synopsis of Robinson on the site. Long arms, heavy hands, stocky build that was engineered to play on the edge in the NFL. Powerful run defender, smart processor. Flashes of rushing the passer with length, flexibility, variety, effort, and hand power. Like, how many boxes did we leave unchecked there? Not many. <laughs> Not many. And he's, he's got some athleticism, man. Like, he's, he's got it all. So if you want a day two edge to hit your wagon to and bet on, don't know if you could do so with our friends at Ben Online, but that's okay. <laughs> Janarius Robinson for me is the guy to do it on. I would say I, I love Robinson. I think Peyton Turner from Houston's right there with him in that conversation. For can he wear some gloves though? <laughs> Why do you say body? that? He wears nothing on his arms. No I literally never bands, noticed that. There's no gloves. There's oh, wow. no tape. It's Man. just he's out there like barehanded, bare-armed, playing football. I think a lot of people will like that. It's like the no. Nick O'Leary thing. No. Not only does was his father, grandfather, uh, Jack Nicholas, but I mean, you know, he didn't, didn't wear, wear gloves, gloves and play. Yeah, yeah. You've heard the talking points. We both had this player. There is nothing less aesthetically <laughs> pleasing. Then it's like a baseball player, bless the sport, with a guy that goes into the batter's box without batting gloves. I just cringe. I'm like, no, put gloves on. Yeah, I couldn't imagine playing football without gloves on. I only played at the high school level, but I had to wear gloves. But I didn't wear nothing else. I didn't have wristbands or nothing. Had the Bruce so, mask, Bruce Smith face mask. You know what I mean? The long bard on the middle that comes down. Yes. And I had a, I had, I had a, uh, Neck roll? No, nah, not a neck roll. What is it? Just like the, I don't know what it's called. It's not a cowboy collar, but it's the neck roll. It's not a <laughs> neck roll. I wasn't. I wasn't a 1980s fullback. I had Peyton, something. Peyton yeah. Turner does not have a neck roll, <laughs> but he also it. wears nothing. So it's like real. You get like that real, like ooh, he's blue collar, right? Like, <laughs> but he actually is pretty fun to watch when you watch him and and. For his size at 270, he's got some lean to him that I don't think I was expecting when I watched him play. But, Joe, you have in your synopsis, and I did not admittedly watch any of the 2019 or 2018 tape for Peyton Turner. He was playing at 290 before he cut down. For this yeah, and year. he came, came there to 215, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> he's kind of sorting that out, man. And I think, you know, it's interesting. You see these body transform body transformation players. And to me, that changes so much about the trajectory. You know, I think about AJ Epinesa was played like 277, 280 at Iowa. The bills asked him to lose weight. He goes down to 250. <laughs> They're like, brother, that's too much. You can't play right. here yet. And he right. gets back up to like, you know, 265 or something like that. But it's when these guys, <laughs> whenever you have body transformations, you know, it, it, it changes things. And for Peyton Turner, I think as a, you know, in his final year at Houston kind of settling into that two seventy range, 
Um, I think it started to reveal some of that ability that he has in, in showing a more dynamic athletic profile. And like you mentioned, there's some, there's some looseness here that you don't expect with his ability to kind of turn and, and, and pivot and get that, that foot to plan outside of his frame and catch and, and lean into some steeper angles. So um, I like his hands are busy all the time. Like from a motor perspective, the dude's always playing, you know, cranked up and, and with a lot of urgency. I, I think, you know, day two developmental edge, man, he's, he's high on my priority list of guys I'd take a swing on. And you know you can bulk him up if you needed to. Yeah. If you're going to play more odd front stuff and play him down in the B gap, and he, you know he can do that. So that's the appeal here is I think there's going to be some scheme multiplicity to work with as far as whether you're going to play him 4-3 defensive end, what kind of odd front defensive end that can kind of shade down into the B gap a little bit more. Um, it, are you going to stand him up? And, and play him at 265, 270, which is right around where he's hovering right now. Like he could probably do that based on the athletic profile that I saw. So there's a lot you can do with him. Uh, one player who's, who's yet to be talked about other than mentioned is Ronnie Perkins from Oklahoma. Joe, you can tell me if you agree with this assessment or not. I think he's a discount rate version of Joseph Asai in this year's class. Yeah, I, I think that's pretty fair. Um, Not as explosive. He might be a better run defender. I'll give you that because he can, I think he redirects a little bit better. I know Asai is so explosive, but it's in linear mm-hmm. releases. Where, where Ronnie is not anywhere near as explosive, um, but he shows that ability to kind of adjust and, and temper and, and change his angles a little bit in space while he's moving in space. So I'll give you that one. But same style of player as far as mm-hmm. like 6'3", 250, like guy that's probably going to have to play as a, a, an outside linebacker if you're going to maximize him in, in an odd front just because I don't know if you're going to be able to put him down in tight. You know, I obviously he had the notorious long arm against Tevin Jenkins yeah, in that football game. But otherwise, like I was kind of surprised how often I saw him get stuck on blocks. You know, he flashes for you week in and week out, but I just didn't think there was enough wins there for me to, or for, for me to, grade him as highly as a bunch of the other guys that we've talked about. And with Perkins, I think the scouting report for offensive tackles was pretty straightforward. They knew what this guy was going to do. Very predictable rush plan. And he wants to dip and rip and beat you around the outside hip. But the problem is he doesn't have enough bend. And there were so many times where he would have a half step or a full step on a guy up the arc. And that tackle would just kind of, open his hips and, and let him start to to turn and hit that peak of the pocket and just say, okay, bud, you're just going to bury you into the ground here. You know, I know that you can't, yep. that you don't have enough to kind of get around me. And so here's and your And he didn't trust it himself. No, no. So he's got to figure out some more ways to win, man, because I mean, he snatching traps. He's going to get, he's going to get, he's going to get buried a lot, man. You know, unless he develops an inside move or some counters or figures out some ways to not just try to win a race, but, 
soften that angle and, and force that offensive lineman to come out of their set in some way that doesn't enable them to just take him where he wants to go a little bit right. more than he wants to go there. So, but if you wanted to, to paint an optimistic picture for, for Ronnie, where are you starting? Uh, I'm starting with, I think he does a good job using his length. I do think he redirects well. I think he plays with urgency. It's like, I think that he has a lot of the stuff you're looking for. It's just like, we just got to develop your pass rush plan and approach differently so that you can be more effective. And it's tough to get that level of development playing in the PAC 12 at Oklahoma where everybody's all wide big 12. I'm so used to us slandering the Pac-12 with with <laughs> Dre and Brentley on the scouting calls, so it just kind of de facto went there. Uh, playing in the Big 12, where everybody's wide open, um, a little bit of a different ball game going to the NFL. So I think that'll be something for him to. Uh, his year three forecast looks better for me than his year one forecast, and it's yeah. not particularly close. That's going to do it for us here on the show today. Hope you guys enjoyed this conversation on. Uh, TDN's top 100 edges outside of the Miami Hurricanes. Chris, good luck coming up with a clear and concise title that explains <laughs> why we talked about the top of the edge class and did not touch the Miami Hurricanes. So uh, I have nothing but the utmost faith in you to get that done. So that's uh, thumbs up for you. I'm eager to see what you cook up. Eager to see you guys come back and check us out again. We got one more show this week for tomorrow. We also have a live stream, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the YouTube channel. So you are not going to want to miss that. So make sure you hit subscribe on the podcast. Push the notifications on your YouTube channel so you can see when we go live. You can pull us up right on your phone. You can leave us all these mean, nasty comments if you'd like. Or you can drop hot takes and and hypotheticals for us to react to as well. So uh, plenty of opportunities for you to engage with us in the final stretch before the 2021 NFL Draft. I'm Kyle Krabs with Joe Marino and Chris Schubert. Thanks, as always, for listening. Hope to see you guys again soon.